0: Well, welcome again to Afraid of Four Square Church and what you just saw the video uh, was a little preview of one of our small groups that's going to be happening in October and the whole small group is going to revolve around how to interpret scripture, how to read the Bible and study the Bible and I'm going to bring people. I don't know if you are one of those people who maybe you've opened up the Bible like me in the past and you think to yourself, What is this saying? I have no idea how I'm supposed to apply this to my life. I have no idea what the writer is talking about here. And so uh, really the goal of this, it's going to be kind of like a, a course, like a class. And the goal of it is to help you better interpret the Bible and study the Bible at home on your own time to take First century concepts and principles and apply those to your life today so that you can live out the Bible, uh, today. And so, uh, leading up to when our, our small group signups open, we're gonna, we're going to be playing a, a video each week, kind of promoting different small groups that's going to be happening. So we're going to have a, a small group on on grandparenting. We're going to have a marriage small group. Uh, we'll have men's groups, women's groups, and so I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to um, to our to our small groups in October, and signups are going to happen probably uh, mid September. I'm just getting you ready, showing you what is going to be available. So I'm looking forward to to what's going to happen in October, and so uh, turn with me to. Psalm 139. If you're joining us, uh, we are at the end of a series in the book of Psalms. All throughout the summer, we have been reading through the book of Psalms and a reading plan together, and uh, we've been talking about the Psalms on Sundays, and the point of the Psalms is so that you would be refreshed, because the Psalms are it's an ancient hymn book, essentially. They're 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 songs that are three thousand years old, and they were put to music so that they would saturate your heart and saturate your mind and fill you. Because how many of you know it's really easy uh, for me, at least, to memorize song lyrics. It's not so easy for me to memorize like scripture or written word. But but that's the reason that the psalms were put to music. It was so that they would enter the hearts and minds of people. And so I like to picture Jesus walking down the street with his disciples, and he would probably just start singing a psalm just like you and I would I mean think about walking down the street and, and just humming a song or something that pops in your head or you're in the car and, and one of your favorite songs comes to your mind and you start repeating it I, I, I just you don't see this anywhere and this isn't this isn't in the Bible but I like to picture Jesus walking down the street with his disciples and suddenly just whistling a tune maybe a, a psalm that he heard or that he that he grew up with memorizing from his childhood Psalm 139 is Probably my favorite psalm, I've probably said that each week through this series, but but no joke, Psalm 139 is my favorite psalm and it's arguably one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible because it's beautiful, it's encouraging, and it's challenging. It it gives you a picture of how intimate uh, God sees your relationship with him and how intimately he knows you and that he sees every part of you. And so we're going to break this psalm up into four different parts because there's four stanzas, if you're reading from the NIV at least, there's four stanzas. Each stanza is is six verses long, so we're going to take this psalm uh, six verses at a time, one stanza at a time. And I'm going to be showing you, or I want to, to talk about after we reach each, each stanza, I'm going to highlight maybe a truth about, uh, your relationship with God or how God perceives you, how God sees you, uh, how it, and how it relates to that stanza. And so we're going to start right now with Psalm 139, verse one through six. It'll be on the screen. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV. It says this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Turn to the person next to you say, he knows me. He knows you. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. The Lord is familiar with every piece of your personality. He knows every thought that you've ever thought and that you will think. He knows your tendencies. He knows your likes and your dislikes. And the challenging part of this verse is that the Lord even knows my sin. He knows my mistakes. He knows where I fall short. And that can be a challenging thing. That can be a scary thing sometimes, right? For those who are in a healthy fear of the Lord, that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's, it's, it's that knowledge that, that God knows all of me, and so I want to make my life right before the Lord. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, I like to, uh, I like to illustrate this by, by talking about the ocean. How many of you, yeah, I know somebody in this room and I'm not sure he'd be a fan of me calling him out. I know somebody in this room who, who didn't see the beach uh, till he was in his uh, adulthood. And I don't know if there's some in here who haven't seen the Pacific Ocean, who have never been to the beach before, but if you're not familiar, if you haven't been around the beach a lot, you might arrive, and you might think, wow, this is beautiful, and you see the waves crashing down on the shore, and you might be, you might be overtaken by the beauty of these waves. And I know I had a friend who, who described it, my old pastor used to describe the fear of the Lord like this, that when he moved to Southern California, he would go to the beach, and these big waves would be crashing down on the beach. And, and uh, he never spent a lot of time with the ocean, and so one time he turned his back to the waves guess what happened big wave came and just smashed him to the ground he just ate a mouthful of sand and he's laying there stunned and as he got up in that moment he learned never to turn his back to the waves again he was suddenly consumed with a healthy fear and a healthy respect of the ocean now for those who aren't in the lord for those who don't have a relationship with god the, the 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 To have a relationship with God, to know that God sees all of you, brings a little bit of terror to your life. It brings a little bit of fear to your life, knowing that God sees all of me, he knows all of me, and and it should bring this healthy fear. But for those who are in God, those who have a relationship with God, it should bring comfort to them to know that God sees me. God knows all of me. See, the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's a good fear because it's an awe, it's a reverence, but it's also just, it, it's, it's marveling and wondering at God's majesty, at his power, at his greatness, that he's a good God, but he's also just. That's what the fear of the Lord is. And so uh, there's a verse, in verse five, That's it, 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 this, these verses are beautiful. You search me, you know me, you know my thoughts before I say them. But then in verse five, it says, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Now, Is this verse, when you read this, is this verse comforting or threatening to you? You don't have to answer out loud, but just think, is this verse comforting or threatening to you? Because there's two ways you can hem something in. You can hem it in so that you can trap it, right, and and enslave it, or you can hem something in to protect it and to secure it. How do you see this verse? There's two ways that you can lay your hands on somebody, right? You can lay your hands on them in love. And you can lay your hands on them in some other ways. I got four kids, and I love to hold them. I love to hug them. I love to embrace them. But sometimes, parents, I just want to lay my hands on them. <laughs> Does anybody else feel that way? Now, nobody nobody calls CPA just yet. or no, Yeah, nobody nobody calls Child Protective Services. I love my kids. I love my kids so much. The image of God... When we read this verse, the image of God laying his hands on you is supposed to, it's supposed to bring this image of a potter sitting at a, at, a, at a table. And he's molding the clay. He's putting his hands on his creation. And he's forming it. He's shaping it. See, the Lord has formed you. He has shaped you. He knows, he knows every part of you. He knows where your weaknesses are. He knows where you're fragile. He knows what you're made of. He knows your strengths. He knows... He, he knows where all the, the cracks and the crevices and the dips and the turns. and the, He knows your form. He knows everything about you. And the fact that God lays his hands upon you, it should be a comforting thought. See, if you seek only to please yourself and you're facing away from God, then this overwhelming knowledge of you that God has, it can be perceived as a threat. However, for someone who lives a repentive life and is humble in seeking to know God, this is viewed as a comfort to know that God knows all of you if i 'm living apart from God and we know that we're living apart from god don 't we because we 've each been given a conscience, a conscience and I, in Genesis one and two, it says that God created mankind in his image, that you have all been created in the image of God, that every human On earth has been created in the image of God. This is a hard thing to wrap our heads around. Even those who walk away from the Lord, even those who do not have a relationship with God, they've been created in the image of God. That God has put His mark in their heart, and they may have buried it. They may have, they may be running from their true identity. They may, they, they may be unaware that that's there, but there is a mark of God on every single person. And that mark of God calls out to us when we do something wrong and I believe that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that is our conscience that lets us know when we do something wrong against the Lord when we mess up we're aware of it aren't we right the Holy Spirit is prodding us he's convicting us he's giving us this this guilt so that we would turn to the Lord confess our conscience lets us know if we're running away from God so if I'm living apart from God, then hearing of God's omniscience om, this word's hard for me omnis, omniscience. <laughs> hearing of God's omniscience would concern me because there's things that I'm attempting to keep hidden from Him. God is all-knowing. and if I'm running away from God, this would concern me. There's things that I'm trying to keep hidden from his gaze. I don't want him to see this piece of my life because I'm afraid of the consequences. I'm afraid of what he's going to say. But if I'm living in humility and repentance and seeking the heart of God, then hearing that God knows me, it brings comfort to my heart, knowing that I have nothing to hide. And God knows all of my needs. You know, the the word said, I I said at the beginning of our our service today, that the word says that his kindness leads people to forgiveness. That his kindness, excuse me, his kindness leads people to repentance. And that when you experience the kindness and the gentle prodding of the Holy Spirit, it leads you to repentance. The Lord is not, he's not, um, sometimes he can be spiritually violent with our our spirits, but the Lord is, is a gentleman. Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And when he comes to you, he gives you an indication that something is wrong. And it's an invitation to come close to him again. It's an invitation to come back to your true identity, to come back to that image of God that you were created to be. It's God saying, this is not who I created you to be and I want you to come back. I want you to fall into the original design. I want you to embrace the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the shedding of his blood so that you and I can have a right relationship with, with each other once again. God knows me. Let's continue reading, verse 7 through 12. It says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. See, the images that are described in this stanza, are, they refer to all the corners of the earth, right? All, all the directions on the compass, north, south, east, and west. North, north and south are described by, by the heavens. If I go to the heavens, you are already there. He is the already God. He's already there waiting for you. If you you descend to the depths, he's already there. Where can you go from his spirit? If you rise on the wings of the dawn or or go to the the setting sun in the west, if you go east or west, there's nowhere that you can flee from the Lord. He is already there waiting for you. Again, this is an invitation for you to search whether or not this is comforting. Is that comforting to you? It's comforting to me to know that God is there. He's, He's in my future. He's in my present, he's in my past, he's everywhere, he knows what's going to happen. He's taking care of my family, he's taking care uh, of my life and my circumstances. I can trust that the Lord is already there and he's prepared something for me. You know, Jonah, he ran away from the Lord. There's, There's a prophet in the Old Testament, his name was Jonah. And the Lord told Jonah that he wants Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh And tell the the people of Nineveh to repent so that they could come back to the Lord. And Jonah rebelled against the Lord. And what did he do? He hopped on a ship to Tarshish, which was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. But the Lord was already there. The Lord was waiting for him at sea. The Lord was there on the ship. And ultimately, Jonah's the guy who got swallowed by a big fish. He was thinking he could run away from the Lord and his running was futile because God was there waiting for him. My question to you this morning is, have you been running from the Lord? Have you been hiding from the Lord? Adam and Eve, what did they do after they ate of the fruit? In Genesis 3, Eve ate of the fruit, she gave it to Adam and they felt shame. For the first time in their life, they felt naked, they felt shame. So what did they do? They hid from the Lord. They ran away. And then what did God do? God comes wandering in the garden. And what does God say? Adam, Eve, where are you? What, where's, where's this relationship that we had? Where are you? Now, did God not know where Adam and Eve were? Absolutely not. Of course not. God knew where they were. But see, when God asks where, when God was asking where they are, he was wanting them to, to make the step of repentance, the step of confession, to come to him and say, we're here, God. We messed up. We were hiding from you. See, God is probably wandering around the lives of some of you, and maybe, maybe you're here, and I believe that it's the voice of the Lord calling out to you today, saying, where are you? I've been missing you. You've been away. Maybe you've been afraid of the, of the Lord. Let me tell you this, that the sacrifice of Jesus not only forgave your sins, and not only gave you the ability to have a right relationship with God, but he took the wrath of God upon him. Some of you are afraid to go to the Lord because you're afraid of his wrath, you're afraid of his judgment, you're afraid of what's going to happen, you're afraid of the consequences. But the wrath of God was poured out upon the person of Jesus. And you know what's left for you? Grace. There's mercy, and there's grace, and there's kindness, and there's compassion. I would say that I believe that there might be some people here who have something in their life. They've been hiding from the Lord. They've been running away from the Lord because they're afraid that my life is going to be worse. If I come out of hiding, if I reveal myself to the Lord, the reality is God's already there. He already sees it. He knows you. He sees it. And he's wandering around your life going, where are you? Where are you? Come out of hiding. Come on out. Because I have grace I want to give you. I have mercy. I have compassion I want to extend to you. You do not have to fear the wrath of God because there is grace waiting for you at the end of confession. There is grace waiting for you when you come out of hiding because the person of Jesus took on the wrath of God on the cross. He's a good, compassionate God. Just last week, one of my daughters, she, she hit her sister. And for those of you who know my kids, you probably know which daughter did this but she hit her sister and when I when I said something to her she immediately went under the table and she went into hiding and I could see her legs I could see her feet she's obviously right there but I I just began to circle the table where are you where are you come here I want to talk to you where are you and she just stayed under the table until finally she said I'm right here dad and she came out, and I, I got to have a conversation with her. But I, I really feel, I really sense that the Lord is walking around your life. And He's saying, Where are you? I want to have a conversation with you. I want to make things right. I've been looking for you so that we can have a fresh start. Do you need a fresh start with God today? Do you need a fresh start with God today? God knows me. God surrounds me is the second thing. I don't know if I said it already, but God surrounds me is the second truth. And the third truth is that God created me. Let's continue reading from verse 13. This is probably my favorite piece of this entire chapter. Verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, listen to this. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. All of your days were ordained for you while you were still in your mother's womb. God mapped out your life. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God created me. Just like in the first stanzas, he is the already God. He's already there. I can't utter a word without him knowing it already. I can't go anywhere without him being there already. I can't even be who I am and what I am were it not for him already making me this way in my mother's womb. He is the already God. He's already there. His plans have already been secured. His promises for your life have already been secured. The stanza describes your very beginning. Back before your first memory, back, back before your first breath, it describes your very beginning. Verse 15 says that God saw you in the secret place and in the darkness. There was a moment in time where not even your mother was aware of your existence. It was like you were buried in a deep cave under the earth, but it was in this deep cave. It was precisely then that you were the recipient of God's utmost care and attention. You were the recipient of God's utmost care and attention before you were even born. When you were in your mother's womb, God was not only creating life, he was creating a life, all the days ordained for you. I love what Michael Wilcock, he's a, he's a commentator, he wrote this about this, this verse. I was being, he says, I was being woven together, intricately wrought by a God who on that tiny scale was engaged in a task perhaps more like his original immense work of creation than anything else he does. When he was forming you, he was engaged in a task that was more like his original design of creation than anything else that God does. He was creating. He was creating you. He was not only creating life, but a life right on through all the days ordained for you. Not just from birth to death, but from conception to death. He was creating a life. A human life is God's handiwork. This is why I'm so saddened and, 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 and I, want, I want this church to hear me. If, if you're in this room and, and you know, uh, I'm so saddened by abortion. I'm so saddened by suicide because I believe that they're completely demonic in nature. I believe that they attempt to throw away the most perfect design that God has made in all of his creation. That's the human life. It's the most perfect design. But I want this church to know that there's no condemnation. That if you're in this room and maybe you've... You've, you've attempted suicide. Maybe you've, you've had an abortion in the past. I want you to know that there is no condemnation from the Lord, that he gives grace to you. But I believe that it, it saddens the heart of God. It saddens the heart of God because your life is so precious to God. The human life is the most precious thing to the Lord because he saw it while, while you were in your mother's womb. He was planning out all the days ordained from you. He was forming you. He was giving you life. I want to talk to some people maybe online. I just really sense that there's people maybe in the room who are watching online. And I want to say that if you battle depression or suicidal thoughts, God wants you to know that you are so precious to Him. You are so precious to Him. It can and it will get better if you give your pain to God. I believe that the devil likes to come and he likes to make us think that it will never get better, that we will never get out of this hole, that the sun will never rise again, that it would be better on the other side of this life. But you know what? God wants you to know that he created your life for a purpose, for a destiny, that he ordained your life. He saw all the days of your life, and your life is precious to God. Your life is precious. He wants you to come to him. Did you know that Jesus can empathize with all of your emotions, with your depression, with your sadness, with your sorrow? Do you know Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed? Jesus knows what it's like to be an outcast, to to be threatened, to be stoned to death, to be cast out of a city. Jesus knows what it's like to to, to have all your friends and your family not believe in you and say that you're, you're foolish, that you're doing foolish things, to be considered a failure by others. Jesus knows how that feels. He can empathize with you. We serve a God who empathizes with us because he became fully human. He was fully God, but he was fully man. And he experienced all the things that you experience. So don't let go. Hold on tight and give your pain to the Lord. Come before him. Talk to somebody about it. If you need to be open and honest with somebody, come before him, talk to somebody about it, allow them to pray with you, allow them to, 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 to ask that the Holy Spirit would do a healing work in your life and show you a plan and a purpose and a destiny that God has for your life. God created me. This next, this next part, there's a little change of tone here. God tests me. See, it's all, it's all beautiful, it's all It's all a serenade. It's all a beautiful song. And then in verse 19, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. Whoa, David, cool your jets, man. You just ruined a perfect psalm. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God and know me. See, it takes a dramatic change of tone again. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This part of the psalm almost seems like it doesn't belong. It has such a dramatic shift in tone. And the psalmist says, there's a point in this psalm where he says, God, I have an idea. Have you ever thought about this? If you would just get rid of all the wicked people, If you just slay the wicked, if you just get rid of them, that would fix everything, wouldn't it? Have you ever thought about that, God? Why don't you try doing that? But here in this last stanza, we find the crux of the psalm. Because somebody who is in a deep relationship with the Lord, somebody who is asking the Lord to search them and to know them and and trust that He created them for a destiny and that he surrounds them, this person is suddenly being contrasted with somebody who has evil intent, who is against the Lord. And there's a choice. We come to this fork in the road where David is saying, which one am I? And he's telling the Lord, this is who I am, God. I'm not, I I don't abhor you. I don't hate the things. I, I, I I, I don't hate the things that you love, God. I'm on your side. And God is asking those of us who, he's asking us to choose a side. Will you allow God to search your heart and test your thoughts? God, knowing you, surrounding you, creating you, will give you comfort if you're the one who says, I don't want to hide anything from God. But for those who are trying to hide their sin, this knowledge, it's threatening. And it brings anxiety, doesn't it? The psalmist is inviting the Lord into a deep, into the deep, dark recesses of his soul and to shine light on the ugly things. Church, this is a dangerous prayer. If you honestly go before the Lord and you say, God, search me and know me. Test my anxious thoughts and see if there's anything in my life that needs to go away with. If you honestly pray that for the Lord, guess what? He will do it. And so you better be ready to go to the next level with the Lord when you pray this prayer. But God invites us to open up our hearts to him, to allow him to search us. Search me, God know my heart. It says, "Test me and know my anxious thoughts has any of you have any of you had anxious thoughts this week? Yes, we can be honest. Church, I have had some anxious thoughts this week. I battle with anxiety sometimes there 's many things today that give me anxiety there 's our political climate I, I I get anxiety when i when, I, when, I, when we talk about our politi- political climate, you know, can I trust the government? Can I not trust the government? What do I do? I get anxiety when I think about wildfires in the area. Why did I move here? There's wildfires here. There's a virus and there's a vaccine and what should I be more afraid of? I get anxiety over it. There's people in my life who don't agree with me but who I'm called to love regardless. And we have conflict when we start talking about any of these things. I have anxiety. I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to have an opinion. I i'm just supposed to talk about jesus i'm not supposed to talk about my opinion and i try to do my best church to do that because i believe that it's the things of god that's going to change the world it's the love of jesus it's his life and when we model our lives after the life of jesus that's what's going to bring true transformation and our world around us but i get anxiety what makes you anxious do those things make you anxious there's probably other things. There's probably financial situations in your life that bring you anxiety. There's probably relationships with parents, with kids, with brothers, with sisters, with family members that bring you anxiety. What makes you anxious? The Lord says He invites us to, to ask the question, to pray the prayer test me and know my anxious thoughts. God tests us. For the remainder of the time today, I just want to talk about anxious thoughts. <laughs> And I want to talk about dealing with anxious thoughts. Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, he gives us really great insight into how to deal with anxiety. And I can imagine that the Apostle Paul dealt with anxiety, with anxious thoughts. He was constantly threatened, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, not once, but twice. This man of God traveled the world and was persecuted over and over again. And I'm sure he dealt with anxious thoughts. I'm sure he wondered where his next meal was coming from. And and which churches were going to support him, if they were going to support him. And and I'm sure that he was full of faith. He was a man of faith, but I'm sure he dealt with anxious thoughts sometimes. And so he has this wisdom, this chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Then he says this, right after talking about joy, he talks about this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul, the author of Philippians, he knows what steals your joy. He's talking about rejoicing in the Lord. He's he's exhorting the church to be full of joy, to be a people of joy. But he says, I know what steals your joy. It's fear and anxiety. If you're full of fear, if you're full of anxiety, you will not be full of joy. Don't allow fear to steal your joy. If you're taking notes, write that down. Don't allow fear to steal your joy. You have to fight anxiety to keep your joy. If the church of God is supposed to be a church of joy, a church, a a, a people that the world looks at and say, where does their joy come from? Where does their love for God come from? If the church, if the people of God are supposed to be people of joy, then we have to learn to battle anxiety. We have to learn to take care of it, to put it into proper perspective. You know what's been stealing my joy recently? The news. My Facebook and Instagram feed. It steals my joy, church. I get on my Facebook and Instagram feed and I I scroll through it and suddenly I just become overwhelmed and anxious. They bring me anxiety. And if I want to keep my joy, I have to limit the amount of time I spend on social media. I have to take a break from it. And we try to do that. We my wife and I we've in the last couple of months we've been trying to, to institute a Sabbath and and, and Sundays, you know, I, I obviously work on Sundays. So Fridays are our Sabbath day. And so on Fridays we try to to make it a no screen day that uh, we don't we don't go we don't buy anything, we don't we don't shop, we just we spend time as a family. spend time with friends, but we don't look at our screens and we read the word together. I have to take a break from the things that give me anxiety. The time spent on social media is something that I have control of. I can control that, but some of you maybe are experiencing anxiety from things that you don't have control over. You don't have control over a relationship with somebody who's, who's angry at you or who there's tension in this relationship. And you, maybe you don't have control over what's happening in your financial situation right now. You feel like you're powerless. Let me say that you are never powerless, that the Holy Spirit has come to give you power, to empower you. But there's this feeling that makes you feel powerless. It's this anxious thought. And this is what Paul says to do. If you feel like you're out of control, if you feel like you don't have control over a situation, Paul says to pray. He says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. He says, don't succumb to fear. Instead, pray. Peace is experienced through prayer. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds is experienced through prayer, through time with God. It's the key to getting rid of anxiety and experiencing peace. You know, every morning this last week, you know, when I walk into my office, and some weeks are like this, I I would say probably 50% of the time that I walk into my office, I'm suddenly consumed with just a little bit of anxiety. And I go, oh man, because I start thinking about all the things that I want to accomplish. And all the, you know, I think about my family at home, my wife who's tired, who has four kids, and I I think about what's happening in our world around us and the decisions I have to make as a leader and as a pastor, and I'm, I'm suddenly overwhelmed with anxiety when I step into my office. But you know what? That anxiety has become a reminder to pray. Because, I remember there's, there's moments in my office where I'm just feeling this anxiety and the, it's like the Lord is speaking to me through my anxiety saying, hey, you can get rid of this, you know. You can give this to me. So I drop to my knees in prayer and I give it to the Lord and I offer it to the Lord. I say, Lord, God, you see my family. You see my church. You see the city and the state and the country that I'm in. Lord, I give it to you. I surrender it to you because God, you're the only one who can truly change it all. You're the only one who's protecting you. Hem me in before and behind. And you place your hand on me. God, would you place your hand on my family? Place your hand on my life and on my my government, on my town, on my state. We're supposed to offer our anxiety to the Lord through prayer because peace is experienced through prayer. We're going to sing in just a moment. And I'm going to give an invitation to the church. But I've got one more point. Paul goes on to say that, 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 that we can offer our prayers to the Lord, but there's, some, there's another step that you have to do. If you want to keep that peace, if you want to keep that joy, you have to replace that anxiety with something else. You have to replace worry with truth. He says this in verse 8. After talking about, don't be anxious about anything, but offer that prayer to the Lord, he goes on to say this in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Don't be overcome with your anxious thoughts, but think about the things that are good, that are of God. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, replace your worry with the truth. Offer your anxiety to the Lord, but then... You need to take it a step further and open up the word of God and spend time in the presence of God. Allow him to replace that anxiety with his truth, with the good things of God. Dwell on those good things. Church, would you stand with me? We're going to sing one more song. And uh, this is a new song. But for those of you who have, we talked earlier today about being in hiding and running from the Lord, and I believe that God wants to provide an opportunity for for maybe some of you to come out of hiding, to reveal yourself to the Lord, to let Him know where you are. I want to invite you to pray with me, and if you're experiencing depression or anxiety, to come and ask for prayer. I'm going to invite maybe uh, Kurt Baker and, and Jethro and Cheryl, if you're in the room, and if uh, some of the people on our prayer team would come forward, but be brave today, church. If you need to confess some things to the Lord, allow us to partner with you in prayer. And and you know, I I don't want to. Um, my heart is not to embarrass anybody, but but what I want to do is we sing this song, and I, I I want to invite you to come to the altar today. And maybe you don't need somebody to pray with; you just need to spend time in the presence mm-hmm. of God. I would invite you just to come forward and spend some time up here up front as we sing the song. But be bold. Come out of hiding if that's what you need to do.